when I asked Bart, I said, hey, what do you want me to preach about? Um, I'm thinking he's going to give me a couple of verses, you know, to really kind of dive into. And he goes, no, nah, dude, you got chapter 8. And I'm like, wait a minute, like, what part? He goes, no, like the whole thing. And I said, oh, well, this ought to be interesting, and this ought to be fun. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We're going to be there, and we are going to take a very helicopter view of chapter 8 this morning um, and go through the entire chapter as quick as possible um, so you can get home and eat more leftovers today, all right? And so, um, but I want to open up by asking you this question, and it's something that you have probably asked yourself before, but it is this question, why is life unfair? Why is life unfair? Why, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people, right? Like we've all asked ourselves that question before. We've all thought, man, life is just unfair at times, right? For some of us, we get caught up in what happens here on earth, and we get caught up with the consequences um, of sin and how sometimes certain people that you may know, maybe they don't face the consequences you feel like they should face. Um, maybe you feel like people get off scot-free with certain things and, and you get upset because people don't suffer the consequences that you feel like they deserve, right? Um, maybe... You're one of the people that it's glued to the news all the time, and whenever there's a big trial going on, you kind of sit on the edge of your seat, and you are praying for a certain outcome because you want to see justice served or whatever the case may be, and when it doesn't happen, you feel like you've been let down, right? You feel like justice just wasn't served. You think, man, this thing called life is just pretty unfair, because you have good people with bad things happening to them and vice versa. Well, we're going to be in chapter 8 this morning. There's this word that, that Pastor Bart has talked about all throughout this whole series, right? And it's mentioned three different times in chapter 8. And it's this word, vanity, which as you remember, if you've been here with us, it, it means this idea of vapor or it's, it's here and then it's gone. It's something that you can't grasp with your hands. It's something that is hard to comprehend oftentimes. And here in chapter 8, as I said, it mentions it three different times. And we're going to look at that here in just a little bit. But this morning, I want you to focus on that one question that I opened up with. And it is, why is life unfair? Why is this life oftentimes a life of unfairness? It's a mystery that I want us to really try to pick apart. So if you have your Bibles, I want you uh, to turn, as I said, to chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1, and it says this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. And so here Solomon, he begins chapter 8, and he's talking about keeping the king's command, which we're going to get into in just a second. But he's talking about this idea of, hey, who is wise, Right? Who possesses wisdom? Where does this wisdom come from? If you go to Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, it says this, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. The New Living Translation reads, um, Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 1, it says that, that wisdom lights up a person's face. So when you and I have a healthy fear of God, 
When, when you and I understand what it means to truly fear God and not be like, oh, I'm afraid of God, but hold God in reverence, right? When we have this healthy fear of God, what does it do? It changes our demeanor. But how then, church, can our face shine with the wisdom of God when life is unfair? How, how can our face shine with the wisdom of God when things are unraveling all around us? When, when things are happening that we don't think is justified. In fact, you can go back just to the last chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 15, where it says, There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. So here, right here, plain and simple, is the unfairness that so often we're talking about, Right? That the righteous people are punished for doing righteous things. And then you've got the wicked people, the, the people who are doing things contrary to what we believe is, is true, contrary to what we believe is right. But what? It feels like they get off scot-free. It feels like their life is just easy. That there are righteous people who suffer consequences and there are wicked people who seem to escape without it. So how is it easy to live if this is sometimes the case? Well, I'm a big sports guy, okay? Many of you know that. You know that I love sports. Um, I'm a huge Florida Gator fan, all right? Now, that's not something to really be proud about right now, all right? We are not good in pretty much anything. But I want to take you back to 2017, because in 2017, I got to witness something that I didn't think was ever going to happen. That Florida finally captured a College World Series title. Okay? But what, what you need to understand is this. In 2015 and 2016, they made it to the College World Series as well. Kevin O'Sullivan had a great baseball program. They were doing phenomenal. But they just couldn't get over the hump. And so in 2017, <clears throat> when they made it to that final series... And it was the best two out of three, and they had to play LSU. Now, if you're a Gator fan, you have a strong disdain for LSU, okay? And just like a lot of you A&M fans this morning have a strong disdain for LSU, we're not going to go down that road either because I don't like LSU either. So we're all on the same page. But we were playing them in the College World Series. And I'm not going to lie. Going into it, I was like, there is no way we're going to win this, right? Just absolutely not going to happen. We win game one. And I'm like, okay, because you got to also understand, I'm a Braves fan, all right? And we have seen this played out in baseball year in and year out, year in and year out. We are there, and it just goes away, all right? And so there's no hope for me when it comes to my baseball teams winning a title, all right? And so game two rolls up, and I remember I'm sitting, I'm, I'm living in Houston at the time, and I'm watching this go down, and it's just like, we're, this isn't going to happen. We're, we're going to get, we, we, we took a lead and then, nope, it's, here it comes. It's going away. And, but what happens? We end up winning it. And I'm beside myself, right? But I, here's the deal. I was anxious. If you ask me, like, I really wasn't enjoying it, okay, because I, I, I just had this, this hopelessness feel about me. However, however, now when I go back and watch it, I can actually enjoy the game. Why? Why can I actually enjoy the game now? Because I know the end. I know what's going to happen, right? So what does that mean for us as Christians? It means this. The wise person's face shines. Why? 
because they know the end of the story. That, that our face can shine the wisdom of God. Our face can radiate God. Why? Because we know the end of the story. We know what happens in the end. And despite what happens here on this earth, that we can be confident in all things. We can possess that wisdom and we can smile because we know what happens in the end. And we don't have to live a life in utter sadness at the unfairness in this world because we know what happens in the end. But if you're like me, I so often forget what happens in the end because I get caught up with what's happening right now. And the more time I stay focused on right now and forget what happens in the end, I find myself living a life that isn't necessarily the life that God has called me to live, even as a pastor. And so I want to encourage you, hey, does your face shine the wisdom of God? Does it, does it beam, does it radiate that you've been changed by God? Do you have a healthy fear of God? And do you always keep in mind and remember that you know what happens in the end? Because as believers, you have a, a leg up. Because you can live this life knowing what's going to take place when you leave this earth. But Solomon has a great sense of humor in chapter 8 because he goes from talking about who is like the wise and having this wisdom, this healthy fear of God to what? Being wise about the government. Now, I just saw a lot of y'all's faces kind of perk up. I'm not about to go political, okay? That's uh, not where I'm going this morning. I'm not a politician. Don't claim to be a politician. You probably don't want me to be a politician, okay? I'm just saying. But what, I'm, what we're going to read here, Solomon really hits on being wise about the government. So if you have your Bibles, let's continue reading in chapter 8, starting in verse 2. It says this, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although a man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who were given to it. And in verse 9, all this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had no power, or, excuse me, where man had power over man to his hurt. Now, why is he talking about this? Because in ancient Israel, the king had absolute power over the people. Total power. This wasn't a democracy. He literally could do what he wanted. Look what it says in verse 3. In verse 3, he literally says, Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. That the king could do what he wanted to. He could rule rightly, he could rule justly, he could rule unjustly, he could do whatever he wanted to. But as we begin to, to think about this and 
being wise about government, but Jamie, like, is that what we're supposed to? Remember this. Let's build a foundation here. Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we are to be wise about the government, but we must remember this, that where is our citizenship? It's not here. As so many believers think it is, as so many people think it is, this is not our home. This is not our citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven, our eternal home. This right here, man, we're just passing through. It may seem like it's taken forever to get through for some of you, okay? But in the grand scheme of things, it's like your life, my life, is like if you took a piece of string and let's just say you stretched it from here to El Paso and then you took a ballpoint pen and you put a dot on it, that is your life. This is not our home. But as a citizen of heaven, we need to understand that going forward. That yes, we're to be wise about our government, but our citizenship lies in heaven. But let's continue on. Romans chapter 13, it says this, verse 1 and 2. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Church, hear me out. Our obedience to our government is part of our obedience to God. Well, Jamie, um, God didn't appoint Biden. Well, Jamie, God didn't appoint Trump. That's not where we're going, right? There are governing authorities placed over us. Take the word governing out. Take the word government out if you want to. There are authorities placed over you. And as believers, part of our obedience to God is our obedience to the authority figures that are in our life. And that is exactly what Solomon is saying. He's saying, hey, listen, you are called to be obedient. No matter what they can do, you are to obey them unless, right, it contradicts what God has called us to do. Because it's very clear in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter and the other apostles say this, we must obey God rather than human beings. Like it doesn't get much more clear than that, right? But for us, our first priority as believers, as children of God, is our first priority is God and God alone. Above all, and God has placed governing officials over us And we're called to obey them. And Solomon talks exactly about how we should respect those in authority. But check this out. He also points out that those who are wise will find a way to do what is right. Look what it says in verse 5. It says, whoever keeps the command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. So for you and for me, Solomon here, he talks about our face shining because of the wisdom that we have from God, but also that wise people are wise about the government. And you got to understand, he's talking here, and he's talking about a king in ancient Israel that can do whatever the heck they want to, no democracy. And for you and for me, as tough as it may sound, depending on the year and depending on maybe for you who's president, I don't know, that it's kind of hard to really obey that. But remember, our obedience to God 
part of that obedience is being obedient to those government officials, unless obviously it contradicts the word of God. So, for us as believers, even when it seems like life is unfair, hey, hear me out, even when it seems like the government is unfair, be wise. As hard as that is, as, as, as contrary to the world as that is, just be wise is what Solomon is saying. But remember how I said that Solomon has a very big sense of humor. He goes from talking about wisdom to being wise about the government. And now that we've checked those two boxes, the next box that he wants us to check is the wicked and the righteous. Like we're going from point A to point Z real quick this morning, okay? Um, and so I want us for the next few moments to talk about the, the wicked and the righteous, but I want us to go back to that question of why is life unfair? Because I want us to really focus on that because he ends the chapter of chapter 8 by talking about the end of the story. By the end of the story meaning the, what's to come. The end of the book. And so if you have your Bibles, let's continue on and let's read this. Starting in verse uh, 10, it says this. <clears throat> then I saw the wicked buried and they used to go in and out of the holy place and they were praised in the city where they had done such things. And this also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his day like a shadow because he does not fear before God. So I'm going to give you three truths real quick. Three truths to dwell on when life seems unfair. I want you to take these home. I want you to chew on these. I encourage you to, to dive into chapter 8 because like I said, this is a very um, overarching view of this entire chapter. But three truths to dwell on when life seems unfair. The first one is this. Justice delayed is not justice denied. Justice delayed is not justice denied. Solomon realizes the same thing here, right? I mean, he says that, we, that good things are um, happening to bad people and bad things are happening to good people. He says it right here in verse 10. Let me just put it in, paraphrase it into our words. There are people literally who are bad people that are going to church and when they leave, they're getting praised for going to church. And everybody knows what they do outside of church, but they're praising them for church. And then you've got the people who are entrenched in the church, who are doing things, who are living right, who are doing the things that God has called them to do, who are now, man, they're being talked about. They're being bashed outside of the church. They're not being praised for what they're doing. And you've got this, this wickedness that is going on. And he wants us to understand, hey, hear me out. Justice delayed is not justice denied. Let me give you a few truths about this, about delayed justice. The first one is this. Delayed justice leads people to think there are no consequences to sin. Delayed justice leads people to think that there are no consequences to sin. Hey, here's the thing. Oftentimes we feel like they get to keep on living their life. 
They don't face any consequences, right? They're getting off scot-free. How in the world do they get to live that life? Like, God, hey, I'm over here. Hey, I've messed up, and I feel like you've been throwing the whole book at me, and they're over here just chilling. But Solomon says, hey, it will be well with those that fear God. Verse 13, but it will not be well with the wicked. Their days will not be prolonged like those who are believers. Church, hear me out. Solomon is thinking with the end in mind. As we said earlier, Solomon knows the end of the story. He's looking at it and he's thinking, hey, this delayed justice, it's not that people aren't facing consequences. It's this. It may not seem like it's happening now, but in the end, when we meet Jesus face to face, there will be consequences. There will be judgment. And for some of us, let's be honest, that is hard to grasp. Why? Because we want to see people's life made a living hell here on earth. And we're like, God, you can do that. You are God. Let's do it. And do that. does he do it sometimes? No. And so what do we think? God loves them more than God loves me. Church, hear me out. Delayed justice leads people to think there are no consequences of sin, but that is not the truth. The second thing is delayed justice is caused by the patience and the kindness of God. So many people hate to think about the promise of a future judgment. Why? Because it goes back to what I just said. Because instead of a future judgment, they want a right now judgment. They want that microwave type judgment. They don't want to have to preheat the oven. They don't want to have to get things together. They don't want to have to put it in. And they don't want to sit there and wait for something to be done. Right? They, they want to put it in the microwave, be done, call it a day. Three minutes, boom, got what I need. We're ready to rock and roll. You know, that's what they're wanting. And that is not... How God always works. 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that, that any should perish. Sometimes God is patient with us. Why? Because he's giving us the chance to repent. He's saying, listen, here it is. So God is patient. God is kind towards us. He's a just God. You will face judgment. But delayed justice is caused by the patience and the kindness of God. And he's allowing us to realize the sin that's in our life. He's allowing others to realize the sin that's in their life and realize the need for repentance. And that leads me to the, second, the third part. The delayed justice is intended to lead people to repentance. Meaning that even in his delayed justice... We should seek repentance. It doesn't mean that we feel like we can get away with it, so we keep on doing it. You know those people. I've done it before, right? I feel like I've got away with it once. I can continue to get away with it. I continue to get away with it, and it just becomes a habit, and I don't seek repentance because I'm not feeling any consequences, and that's not how God works, that we are held liable for everything that we have ever done. And we think, and others think, that it must be nice to be them, right, that they can get away with anything. But maybe it's just this. They haven't sought repentance. And even if they don't, 
one day they will be judged face to face by a holy God. Because sometimes when it looks like people are just getting away with things, they're not. They're just not seeking repentance. As a little kid, um, or a, not a little kid, but a young kid, uh, me and my brother, who I think may be watching from Alabama, we, we would sneak out, or not sneak out, we would go out behind the cow pasture behind our house, and we would take our little pellet guns or whatever and go shoot birds. We would just do dumb things out there, okay? Um, and so we would crawl under the barbed wire fence, and we would begin to walk, and, and we would have a lot of good times. We knew the people that owned it. He let us go fish in his pond. But then there were some other cow pastures off to the right that um, he did not own, but we really liked going over there too, okay? And so what did we do? We would go over there, but we found out that one day this guy had put up an electric fence for his cattle. And um, so what did we do? We began to just crawl underneath it. Well, as you get older, you can look at me now. I was never the smallest kid. Um, And so there came a point where I was a little bit too round to fit underneath this electric fence. And so I had a bright idea one day to say to my brother, hey, why don't we just test to see if this fence actually works? So I take the BB gun or pellet gun, whatever I have, and I touch the fence to it. And, and I'm not thinking that it's got, you know, a wooden stock on it. So it's really not going to shock me. So it doesn't shock me. And so I'm like, man, this is gold. This is great, dude. So let's just keep. So instead of crawling, we just began to step over it. Okay. Never shocked me. One day, one day we're out here, we're doing the same thing. And I go up, and I was like, you know what? It's never shocked us yet. So I just touch it. And it sends a jolt of electricity through my body that I had never felt before. And I looked at my brother and I said, I guess he finally turned it on. I don't really know, right? And so, I mean, it shocked the daylights out of me. And from that point forward, we didn't go over or under that fence until we found out we could literally walk to the end of the cable and literally just detach it from the fence and lay it on the ground. We found that out years later. We weren't smart enough. But why do I tell you that story? Because if you touch enough electric fences, sooner or later you're going to be shocked. If you touch enough, sooner or later you're going to be shocked. And the truth is this, that just because judgment hasn't come to the world yet doesn't mean it won't ever come. And if you think, if you have that mindset that you can keep on sinning and you can keep on sinning, it's just like you can keep on touching an electric fence. Church, I got news for you. Sooner or later, you're going to be shocked. Sooner or later, you're going to be judged. Sooner or later, justice is going to come. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology book said this, and I love this. He said, the fact that there will be final judgment assures us That ultimately, God's universe is fair, for God is in control, and he keeps accurate records, and he renders just judgment. Church, hear me out. Delayed justice is not justice denied. It means exactly what it says. It just hasn't come yet. But a wise person doesn't live their life thinking they can just get away with everything. A wise person realizes, hey, justice is coming for me and for everyone else. So even when life seems unfair, 
actually, just as Grudem says, life is actually fair. Why? Because we serve a God who keeps right records, who keeps accurate records, and he renders just judgment. Now, you may be thinking, like, Jamie, bro, like, can we lighten up a little bit here? Like, like you're, you're talking about sin, you're talking about justice. But Solomon then goes on, and he tells us this, that there is this joy in the credence of our faith. Look what it says, verse 14, starting verse 14 and 15, it says this, there is vanity, there's that word again, that takes place on earth. There's this meaningless thing. It's gone, it's here one day, gone the next. That there are righteous people <coughs> to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity, and I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat, drink, and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So Solomon here, he talks about how this is all meaningless, this idea that bad people are treated good, that good people are treated bad, that this is all meaningless. Why? Because remember, he's just talked about how God is the final judge. And it doesn't matter how others deem you. It doesn't matter how others label you. It doesn't matter how others treat you. None of that matters. Why? Because eventually those people, they're going to be judged. God has the final judgment. So what is Solomon's reaction? Verse 15. Here it is. Here's some good news. Eat, drink, and be merry. We can all say amen, right? Like, and all those people said amen because eat, we have just been given the go-ahead to eat, drink, and be joyful. But let me put a pause on that real quick. Let me tell you what this isn't. This isn't arrogance. This, this joyous response is not arrogant. This doesn't mean, hey, I've got it all together. I'm a perfect person. I have been given the authority to, and given the option to go eat, drink, and be married because I've got it all together. Look at me, woe is me, like I can do no wrong, so I'm going to go celebrate myself, all right? That is not what this is. That is not what Solomon is saying here. But it's also this. He doesn't tell us to do this out of hopelessness either. That we're not doing this as someone with no hope thinking, well, I might as well have fun tomorrow, today, because tomorrow is going to be awful. Because my life stinks. Woe is me, like God doesn't like me. Life is unfair. He told me to eat, drink, and be merry, so that's just what I'm going to do. But deep down inside, I am filled with hopelessness. It's not what this is about either. Well, Jamie, then what is it about? This joyous response, it's because of our faith. He says, hey, do this because of the faith that you have. Enjoy life. Be joyful because of the faith that you have in God. He tells us that faith is the thing that goes with us through the toils of life. And in verse 15, he tells us, hey, these are the things that are going to go with you. All the days that God has given you, your faith is the one thing that won't let you down. That God is the one person that won't let you down. And the wise person says, I will eat, drink, and be joyful, not because of me, not because of arrogance, not because I have hopelessness, but because of the faith that I have in Jesus. That's something 
that I can be joyful about. Amen? But it's pretty hard, isn't it? Why? Because it goes back to the beginning. Life seems unfair. But even though life seems unfair, when we serve a God that is fair and when we know that in the end there will be justice, what does that mean for you and for me? That we have a faith that we know that we can stand on. We have a faith that we know that is tried and true. And we know what happens in the end of this book. And even when life seems unfair, and even when you have those moments where you feel like you're beat down, I can, I can tell you countless times where I've questioned, God, where are you? God, why is this happening to me? A lot of you know mine and Jennifer's story. God, why, is it, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to my wife? Does that make God any more less fair for me than he is for you? Absolutely not. It just leads me to the, to the final point. Breaking news, newsflash, something you will not see on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, across the bottom line of Sports Center. We aren't God and can't grasp everything here on earth. And for some of you, that is the truth you need to hear this morning. That is very simple. You aren't God. Look at Solomon realizes in verse 16, says this, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then, he says, I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. That he tried, he tried to see, remember, he had it all. He had the women, he had the money, he had it all. And he was trying here, he thought he had the wisdom, trying to figure out everything that God did here on earth. And he says, listen, even me, even I, I can't figure it out. He says, however much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. And for you and for me, that sounds like bad news. Church, hear me out, that is good news. Because even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. We may not know every step of the way, but we have a leg up on the world. Why? Because as I've said it once, I'll say it again, we know the end. You may not know what tomorrow brings. You may not know what a month from now brings. You may not know what every single step of the way is going to look like. God works in ways that we cannot understand. We don't know everything that God knows, but we do know this. We know the end. And Solomon knows that in the end, he knows what will happen. And in the meantime, it is okay for you not to know it all. I tell this to students all the time. If you knew it all, you would have no need for a Savior. If you knew it all, you wouldn't need God. There's a part of that for me that is comforting, and I hope it is for you, that you can take a sigh of relief. You can take a deep breath and realize, church, you are not the God of your life. As a believer, he is the Lord of your life. 
He is the one that controls your steps. He is the one that has your life planned out, mapped out, laid out just for you, uniquely for you. And it is okay that you don't know every single thing about it. So live your life. Do what God's called you to do. And remember, it's okay that you don't understand it all. Because a wise man still doesn't know everything. But a wise man does rely on God. A wise man does understand justice will be served. And as Bart has said throughout this, in, this entire series so far, that all of this really is pointing to what? It's pointing to Jesus. It's, it's pointing back to the gospel. Even in this heavy stuff, it's still. So let me, let me paint this picture for you. We're talking about unfairness. We're talking about knowing the end of the story. Look at it like this, because this is absolute truth. Jesus endured the cross because he knew the end of the story. He knew that in order for us to enter into a relationship with our heavenly father, Jesus had to do something that he wasn't, had to come down from heaven and become man, live a perfect life only he could do. Die a criminal's death that you and I were supposed to die. Why? So that we could have that relationship with our Heavenly Father. Why? So that end of the story could actually take place. So that we wouldn't have to spend eternity separated from God. So that, that we could have that justice. So that we could be judged by a holy God. But also so that we could enter into a relationship with Him. Jesus endured the cross because he knew the end of the story. So church, what does that mean for you and for me? Let me close it by saying this. This application point right here. We can endure the unfairness in this life because we know the end of the story. And here it is. And in the end, justice will be served. No matter how unfair life seems, don't live your life with no hope. Don't think only on the things that seem unfair. But live with joy because of the faith that we have and because we serve a God who holds true to his promises. There is not one thing that is written in this book that has ever failed me or has ever failed you or that has ever been proven wrong. So you can live knowing that. So live as this. Live as a wise person whose face shines for God. Live as someone who respects those over you. Live as someone with joy, despite life's unfairness. And do that knowing that in the end, justice will be served. And you don't have to worry about other people because you have a God who loves you. You have a God who is the final judge. And I don't know about you, but the beauty in all of it is knowing this. I'm not God. And I don't have to know it all to know God. Because he has made a way for me to do that. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for that truth. God, we thank you. God, that we aren't God. That we aren't you. But God, we thank you, God, that you are the final judge. 
God, even when, when life seems unfair, God, it is actually fair because you are a just God. God, may we be people whose face shines because of the wisdom of you, God, because we have a healthy fear of you. Because we love you. God, may we be a people who respect those in authority over us, not necessarily because we agree with them, because our obedience to them is part of our obedience to you. God, may we understand that sometimes justice doesn't happen right here on this earth. And Father, may we be a people who are okay with that. May we not focus on all of the unfair things going on. But may we realize, God, that despite this world that we live in, God, we have been given the opportunity to know you and be in a relationship with you and be known by you. So God, may we live as those who are not gods of themselves, but who serve a holy God that loves each and every one of us. 